The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Angels, we all have them. They're our unseen guides, our companions, our teachers, and they're all around us. Sometimes they make themselves known in the most miraculous ways. Join angel communicator, Reiki master, and QHHT hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman, for stories from real people who have experienced real-life angel encounters. In this episode of Real Life Angel Encounters, I wanted to do something a little different. I first found this story in the private Facebook group, Radiate Wellness Community, Spirituality, Healing, and Discovery. Something about the story really struck a chord with me, and I wanted to share here because I found it to be inspiring. You never know what's going to happen when you switch up your routine. And now, here's the story. Marcel Sternberger was a methodical man of nearly 50 with bushy white hair guileless brown eyes, and the bouncing enthusiasm of a Sardis dancer of his native Hungary. He always took the 909 Long Island Railroad train from his suburban home to Woodside, New York, where he caught a subway into the city. On the morning of January 10, 1948, Sternberger boarded the 909 as usual. En route, he suddenly decided to visit Laszlo Victor, a Hungarian friend who lived in Brooklyn and was ill. Accordingly, at Ozone Park, Sternberger changed to the subway for Brooklyn, went to his friend's house, and stayed until mid-afternoon. He then boarded a Manhattan-bound subway for his Fifth Avenue office. Here is Marcel's incredible story. The car was crowded, and there seemed to be no chance of a seat. But just as I entered, a man sitting by the door suddenly jumped up to leave, and I slipped into the empty place. I've been living in New York long enough to know not to start conversations with strangers. But being a photographer, I have the peculiar habit of analyzing people's faces, and I was struck by the features of the passenger on my left. He was probably in his late 30s, and when he glanced up, his eyes seemed to have a hurt expression in them. He was reading a Hungarian-language newspaper And something prompted to me to say in Hungarian, I hope you don't mind if I glance at your paper. The man seemed surprised to be addressed in his native language, but he answered politely, you may read it now. I'll have time later on. During the half hour ride to town, we had quite a conversation. He said his name was Bela Paskin. A law student when World War II started He had been put into a German labor battalion and sent to the Ukraine. Later, he was captured by the Russians and put to work burying the German dead. After the war, he covered hundreds of miles on foot until he reached his home in Debrecen, a large city in eastern Hungary. I myself knew Debrecen very well. We talked about it for a while. Then he told me the rest of his story. When he went to the apartment once occupied by his father, mother, brothers, and sisters, he found strangers living there. Then he went upstairs to the apartment that he and his wife once had. 
It was also occupied by strangers. None of them had ever heard of his family. As he was leaving, full of sadness, a boy ran after him calling, Paskinbashi, Paskinbashi. That means Uncle Paskin. The child was the son of some old neighbors of his. He went to the boy's home and talked to his parents. Your whole family is dead, they told him. The Nazis took them and your wife to Auschwitz. Auschwitz was one of the worst Nazi concentration camps. Paskin gave up all hope. A few days later, too heartsick to remain any longer in Hungary, he set out again on foot, stealing across border after border until he reached Paris. He managed to immigrate to the United States in October 1947, just three months before I met him. All the time he had been talking, I kept thinking that somehow his story seemed familiar. A young woman whom I had recently met at the home of friends had also been from Debrecen. She had been sent to Auschwitz. From there, she'd been transferred to work in a German munitions factory. Her relatives had been killed in the gas chambers. Later, she was liberated by the Americans and was brought here in the first boatload of displaced persons in 1946. Her story had moved me so much that I had written down her address and phone number, intending to invite her to meet my family and thus help relieve the terrible emptiness in her life. It seemed impossible that there could be any connection between these two people, but as I neared my station, I fumbled anxiously in my address book. I asked him in what I hoped was a casual voice, was your wife's name Maria? He turned pale. Yes, he answered. How did you know? He looked as if he were about to faint. I said, let's get off the train. I took him by the arm at the next station and led him to a phone booth. He stood there like a man in a trance while I dialed her phone number. It seemed hours before Maria Paskin answered. Later, I learned her room was alongside the telephone, but she was in the habit of never answering because she had so few friends and the calls were always for someone else. This time, however, there was no one else at home. And after letting it ring for a while, she responded. When I heard her voice at last, I told her who I was and asked her to describe her husband. She seemed surprised at the question, but gave me a description. Then I asked her where she had lived in Debrechen, and she told me the address. Asking her to hold the line, I turned to Paskin and said, Did you and your wife live on such and such a street? Yes, Bella exclaimed. He was white as a sheet and trembling. Try to be calm, I urged him. Something miraculous is about to happen to you. Here, take this telephone and talk to your wife. He nodded his head in mute bewilderment, his eyes bright with tears. He took the receiver, listened a moment to his wife's voice, then suddenly cried, This is Bella! This is Bella! And he began to mumble hysterically. Seeing that the poor fellow was so excited he couldn't talk coherently, I took the receiver from his shaking hands. Stay where you are, I told Maria, who also sounded hysterical. I'm sending your husband to you. We will be there in a few minutes. Bela was crying like a baby and saying over and over again, It's my wife. I'm going to my wife. At first, I thought I'd better accompany Paskin, lest the man should faint from excitement. 
but I decided that this was a moment in which no stranger should intrude. Putting Paskin into a taxi cab, I directed the driver to take him to Maria's address, paid the fare, and said goodbye. Bela Paskin's reunion with his wife was a moment so poignant, so electric, with suddenly released emotion, that afterward, neither he nor Maria could recall much about it. I remember only that when I left the phone, I walked to the mirror like in a dream to see if maybe my hair had turned gray, she said later. The next thing I know, a taxi stops in front of the house, and it's my husband who comes towards me. Details I cannot remember. Only this I know, that I was happy for the first time in many years. Even now, it is difficult to believe that it happened. We've both suffered so much. I've almost lost the capability to not be afraid. Each time my husband goes from the house, I say to myself, will anything happen to take him from me again? Her husband is confident that no horrible misfortune will ever again befall them. Providence has brought us together, he says simply. It was meant to be. Skeptical persons will no doubt attribute the events of that memorable afternoon to mere chance. But was it chance that made Marcel Sternberger suddenly decide to visit his sick friend and hence take a subway line that he had never ridden before? Was it chance that caused the man sitting by the door of the car to rush out just as Sternberger came in? Was it chance that caused Bella Paskin to be sitting beside Sternberger reading a Hungarian newspaper? Was it chance, or did God ride the Brooklyn subway that afternoon? Isn't that an amazing story? Every time I listen to it, I, I get goosebumps. I get kind of verklempt. Uh, that story is by Paul Deutschman, Great Stories Remembered, edited and compiled by Joe L. Wheeler, Focus on the Family Publishers, December 1996. And now to continue this theme of transportation, we have Joseph in Kansas City with a story of an automobile accident that could have gone really badly. Hi, Joseph. Tell us what happened. Doing well. And yes. Good. Yeah, tell Uh, us what happened. So I was coming back from a family Christmas visiting my sister in St. Louis. And I wanted to go visit friends in Manhattan, Kansas, where I went to school. And so my cousin was like, oh, I want to come along too. And I was like, okay. And so we're driving on the highway and traffic's really busy, apparently, I guess the day after Christmas. You know, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And then all of a sudden I heard a voice like, you need to slow down. And I was like, okay. And so my back right tire blows out on the highway and I barely miss hitting the car in front of me. And as it swerves to the left and, you know, the voice is saying, just let the car do its thing. Don't try to correct it. And like, okay. And so I'm like pumping the brakes and my cousin was asleep and she screams, like wakes up screaming because the car is doing a 180 and, you know, I can see the angels on 
each side of the car and I'm, you know, turning the cars doing the 180 and I'm thinking to myself, well, I had a good life because traffic was really busy. And when the car turned around, there was no one there. And the back right tire hits the median, the front right tire hits the median and I land in the left shoulder. Mm. Uh, I'm like, what are the odds of that? I could have landed many different spots. Absolutely. And five minutes later, it was that heavy traffic. And I was just thinking to myself, well, I guess it wasn't my time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and that's just it. Our, our angels, our guardian angels, our spiritual team, they can, um, they can influence us and they can, you know, let us know things like, you know, tap the brakes, don't let the car, you know, don't try to overcorrect the car. They can let us know these things. They can't interfere except if it's not our time. So it sounds like they may have cleared the traffic for you a little bit and, you know, really made it to where you were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love the part of the story where you said, well, and I heard very clearly, you know, don't, don't try to overcorrect the car. Okay. Slow down. Okay. (laughs) You didn't even question it. Well, I've been hearing voices since I was a child, so. (laughs) Do this. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. And um, I have no doubt that things were moved, things were shifted, time was slowed down, whatever. The rules of physics were bent so that your cousin would be safe, would be okay. You know, and it reminds me that I have a story kind of like that, that I was, if you're in the Kansas City area, you may know this little stretch of highway. It's awful where you enter 35, I-35, that is toward the downtown loop on the right-hand side, on the west side. And then immediately there are exits, Broadway and Southwest Trafficway on the left side, on the east side. And you have to go through three or four lanes of traffic to get to these exits. And of course, it's a very popular route to take this right-hand exit and then need to exit immediately on the left-hand side. Broadway and Southwest Trafficway are pretty busy exits. So I've had to do this a couple of times, but this one day, oh, it's nerve-wracking because it was super heavy traffic, it was busy, um, rush hour, and I had to go from the right hand, extreme right hand, to the extreme left hand of this highway. And I'm looking and I'm looking, oh my gosh, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And so I said, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I rubbed my little Michael medal. I've got a Michael medal in my car, Archangel Michael, that is, rubbed my Michael medal. I said, Michael just help me get to the other side safely. I don't care how you do it. And so I dash across. And then as I get into the that next lane of traffic, I look over and here's a semi-truck on the right-hand side of me. There is no way I could have merged and not hit that semi-truck. So I truly believe that I drove through it to get to the other side. <laughs> you know, our guides can do that kind of thing. But I don't know, your story just reminded me of that, that if it's not our time, it's not our time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm sure you've had many other stories of, of this. I know you've called into a previous episode and talked about being hit by lightning. 
and which was a wonderful story. Can you give us just another brief synopsis of that? Um, so, yeah, for with the lightning story, I was uh, skipping in the rain, and I heard a voice said, "You need to, you need to stop." I was like, okay. And then I saw a flash of white light. And then sometime later I woke up on the other side of the street. And like later in life, I had the angels tell me that they they carried me across the street. Wow. So like I, I think I floated across the street. I'm pretty sure I floated. <laughs> you know, and these things we we could laugh, we could chuckle or whatever. And, you know, the, the easy thing is to say, ah, oh, no, something like that can't happen. You must have been staggering across the street or, you know, in my case, the, the semi truck just, you didn't see it. It was in your blind spot. You know, it's easy to just kind of justify these things away, but you know, I believe, I believe that physics can be shifted. What do you think? I think so too. Physics can be manipulated it's flexible yeah absolutely anything that can happen can happen it kind of also reminds me of another near-death experience as well where i was uh because i took i took the bus to school and there was no cars coming and i heard a voice that you need to run across the street now and i was like okay and i ran across the street and my backpack got hit by this truck that ran a stop sign going like 40 miles per hour because I did a 360 and I like kind of felt like stumbled forward and had I gone my normally leisurely rate you know walk I would have been hit by the truck so oh my gosh so this vehicle clipped your backpack spun you around yeah Mm -hmm. Oh my how fast God. it was going. Did he stop? No, he just sped on. Oh my gosh. What can I say? Your guardian angels must be working overtime, honey. <laughs> yeah. They do. <laughs> when you when you see them, when it's time to go and see them, you better bring them a nice gift. I'm sure they're expecting it. <laughs> Bottle of wine in a fruit basket. <laughs> Go out with a whole big shebang. Yeah. You are working them overtime. Well, these are amazing stories. Thank you so much. And please come back anytime you've got further stories. I know you're always encountering these beings and hearing the voices. And so thank you so much for joining me for Real Life Angel Encounters. Thank you for having me. And next, I have Mark from Tucson, Arizona, who's got a wonderful story, actually two in one, we've got a twofer, of a conversation with his father. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining me. Not a problem. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And so can you tell us what happened with uh, this remarkable story? Well, um, my father passed away in 2001, and I had just been married a couple years at that point. I didn't have any children when he was alive, so it was several years after he had passed in December 2001 that uh, 
uh, I finally had a daughter. So I was on, I was deployed to Iraq at the time in 2007, 2008. My daughter was born in December, just before Christmas of 2007. I had taken my mid-tour leave right around April, May timeframe, and I was coming home and I landed in Omaha. I got there and got off the plane, freshened up just to you know, make myself a little bit more presentable. And something had hit me like the, the burden of being a first-time first parent. <laughs> and so I'm sitting on the, on the bench in the terminal just before going up the ramp. And I'm just like trying to gather myself together because this was totally new experience for me. As I'm sitting there, I hear a voice in my, a voice around me. And as I look up and I'm looking around, the voice gets there and says, what are you doing? Oh my, oh wow. And I'm looking around and I'm like, what? And the voice gets there and goes, what are you doing? Get up and see your daughter. And I'm like, dad? He's like, get up and see your daughter. But, but I'm scared. That doesn't matter. Who taught you or who showed you how to be a parent? You and mom? Who gave you love no matter what? You and mom? He's like, get up off your butt and go see your daughter. And by the way, she's beautiful. I was just like, that was like a shot of energy. And I was just like, all that doubt, all that concern just went woof, away. And just before I, I left, I got there and I go, can you tell me what it's like on the other side? And then he replied, there are no words that can describe it. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, not much I could do with that. <laughs> and I left and I went and go saw my daughter and things are, things are great. So now advance a couple years. Mm-hmm. I come home from deployment in 2013. I'm in Kentucky. And um, I'm sitting there in church for Christmas Mass, and the crowd is dispersing. And I'm sitting as I'm sitting there, just trying to to soak in. Hey, I'm finally home. No more, no more being in the middle of a war zone. I'm sitting there, and I hear his voice again, and he says to let you know I'm preparing a spot for your mom. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what? No, 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 no. I, I, I lost you. I don't, I can't lose her. I need her. He's like, well, that's the way of things and we'll always be with you. Hmm. And I'm like, do you know when? There's no time here. I'm like, um, okay. 
So then I get there and after I leave, I get there and I call mom and I let her know. And in her typical Irish stubbornness, she gets there. <laughs> yeah, whatever. He he could say that all he wants. I I got another 10, 15 years in me. <laughs> I like, I hope so. And uh she actually passed away December 2015. So that was almost two years around the time frame of when I was told that he was preparing a spot for her and when she actually passed. Oh my goodness. That is remarkable. Have you ever considered the possibility that he could actually talk to you like that? Um, I, I, I don't really know because out of the five kids that joined the military, I was the only one that he went to a basic training graduation. Oh my. When I came home just before he passed, he was told that he shouldn't stand up. I came in the room and he stood up to give me a hug. Oh, wow. Wow, so you had a special bond with him. And he said that my favorite son has come home. Oh my goodness. And I don't know what it was, but I mean, we both enjoyed baseball. We, uh, I went several games with him and that was really the big connection that we had. And when, uh, when he, he passed, I told him to go be with his parents because he never, he never got a chance to see them when they passed. Oh, my goodness. And I was on a road trip with him back in 93, and we drove up to where he grew up because I'd never been there before. Yeah. And we drove up to – we drove around town. He showed me where his, his farm used to be. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the cemetery, and he was the one that found his grandparents' gravesite because we didn't know where it was. Right. And so um, I guess that was the real connection that we had. Mm-hmm. I was with him for that on the road trip. We both enjoyed a good game of baseball. And when he told me that, when he saw me, yeah, I was, one, surprised, two, surprised that I was able to hold it together. <laughs> but as soon as he fell asleep, I went and I, you know, just broke down in front of my mom. Mm-hmm. And she was like, there's always been that connection between you two. For whatever reason, there's been that connection. 
Oh my goodness. And when you heard his voice, mm-hmm. how did you hear that? Was it with your physical ears or was it somehow in your head? In my head. Because there was other noise that was going around. It was almost like um, all that just drowned out. Mm-hmm. And so it was like I was in a bubble. So all I heard was him. Oh my goodness. And has he come forward to interact with anybody else in the family? As far as I know, I've been the only one. Right. And that made my older brother jealous. So <laughs> he's like, I would really like to have heard dad. And I was like, oh, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Well, and I think this is a very important point that I do like to stress to the people that I work with as a medium, and that is that um, hearing their voice or being contacted in that way is only one of so many different ways that we can be in touch with our loved ones. We can receive other signs from them as well. Mm-hmm. And so you might stress to your brother that just because you received these specific messages, he might look at some of the messages he's received and they can be very, very subtle and they can be unexpected, like seeing ladybugs or cardinals or finding pennies or turning on the radio and you hear your dad's favorite song. Just because we don't hear them or see them in a way that we recognize doesn't mean that we're not in touch with our loved ones. So they can right. they can reach out in so many different ways. But that was definitely a life-altering contact, I would say. Do you feel a bit differently about his passing and about perhaps passing in general? Well, December has always been a hard time in my family because uh, I nearly was killed in an accident just before Christmas when I was uh, 15. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Um, and then both my parents passing in December. Mm-hmm. Um, usually tragic things, not very tragic, but tragic in the sense uh, happens to our family in the month of December. So it's really hard for our family to get through it. Right. Um, I think because of it being around Christmas, uh, two of my brothers have totally left the, the Catholic faith. They don't believe in religion anymore because if there's a God, why do they do this to, to us? Right. Um, but I don't really see it as a change. It's just a extreme unique connection. Yeah. I mean, between my dad and I, we had a connection anyways. But mm-hmm. to actually hear him, especially when I was nervous about seeing my my oldest daughter, Mm-hmm. You know, he got out there and said, get up off your butt and be a parent. Let's go. You've been around kids all most of your life. So what, what difference does this make? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Was he funny like that in, or direct like that in life? Uh, he kind of was, but I think a lot of his actions spelt, uh, spoke more than his words. Sure. Um, it'd be like when we were kids, he would usually fall asleep while watching a baseball game. And so we get there and we turn down the volume and we change the channel and then we hear him perk up. I was watching that. <laughs> that is so like a dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, what a treasured experience for you. I'm so glad that you have that connection and have had that experience. I know that a lot of people would like to have similar, but again, our experiences can be all different. Neither, you know, one is not better than another. All of our experiences mm -hmm. can be wonderful and enriching and really make us feel connected with our loved ones. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your stories, Mark. That is um, absolutely remarkable and so true that love never dies and our loved ones never truly leave us. So thanks thank for sharing. Not a problem. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. If you have your own great angel encounter, chance meeting, miraculous intervention, or any other just amazing story, we want to know about it. Contact us at angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. That is angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time. A special thank you to James Wheeler for the original music and Cassandra Harold for the voiceovers. Please subscribe and follow wherever you're listening now. And be sure to tell your friends. The more people know about this podcast, the more great story submissions we get. Submit your own real-life angel encounters to angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. Want to know what your angels and loved ones have to tell you? Schedule an appointment with Christy at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.